Hey there, welcome to the Motorcycle Adjacent Podcast, episode 14. I am your host, Walt from waltnpa.com. Today we're going to cover a wide variety of topics, starting with a little accidental footage lost from episode 13 and a story that I want to tell you all about it. And we're going to end with a broken body panel on my 2023 Kawasaki Ninja 400. So I want to start off this episode by talking a little bit about my technical difficulties with episode 13. So I have a process that I've done hundreds of times. And basically, I take footage off my camera, the little micro SD card that goes inside my action cam. I plug it into my computer, and then I drag all of the video files from the micro SD card over to a portable hard drive. And that's where all my editing takes place. I work off of that portable hard drive. Now, there's no reason for me to keep a duplicate, so I always just grab all the footage, the the redundant footage, the original, I drag it into my trash can. Now, because the file size is so large on all of those video segments, the trash can can't hold it, so it, it permanently deletes the files. Now, again, there's some there's some risk involved here, but I always have a copy and it's never failed me. This this process has always just worked. So I, I I grab all the footage, I drag it onto my personal hard drive or my, my portable hard drive, and then you know the transfer starts and it says that it's going to take maybe five minutes to transfer several gigabytes of footage. So as it begins transferring, I hear a scream. Uh, I hear a scream followed by yelling. I can't really make out what is being said, but I can tell that it's a high-pitched voice, it's a woman, and something is awry. So I jump off my seat, and I run out of the shed, and my my immediate thought was like something's going on in the house with my wife and the kids, and I'm, I'm panicked. My, my heart's thumping, and as I get outside and I start looking around, I hear more shouting. So I look across the street, and I see the glow of a cell phone. Apparently, there was a woman who was having a very heated argument with, I would just assume, a boyfriend or a husband, and she was just walking on down the road um, where I'm on a main road, so there, there are no sidewalks, there's very little foot traffic, and it was just very unusual. So once I saw what was going on, I kind of calmed down a little bit. I went inside the house, double-checked, make sure everything was okay. Of course, everything in the house is fine. They didn't even hear the shouting. And as I'm coming back out of the house, making my way towards the shed, I can hear shouting further on down the road. The argument is just continuing on. So I go back into the, the shed, I sit down to pick up where I left off. The transfer is complete, so I grab all the files, I dump them in the trash. The trash clears. I open up DaVinci Resolve to begin editing the video footage, and everything with the exception of one snippet is there. So I'm not entirely sure what happened, but I didn't grab all the footage, I didn't transfer all the footage, and I deleted all of the originals. So I was kind of dumbfounded. I didn't know what I could possibly do. You know, this this podcast is dependent on producing a video every other week. And suddenly, I didn't have any video. And I thought, oh no, I'm going to have to record this entire thing all over again. This is going to suck. Then I realized, well, I saved the, the audio footage separate from the video footage. So maybe I can cobble together an audio episode. So that's precisely what I did. Uh, If you did get a chance to listen to episode 13, that is an entirely audio podcast. I never did get around to publishing anything on YouTube. Uh, My plan originally was to 
take that audio file and then lay it over top of just some stock riding footage or some leftover riding footage I had from the past year as a way to create some form of video so that I could publish this podcast to YouTube. Well, that didn't actually work out. Um, Things got busy. Uh, I wasn't able to double back and create a second version of the podcast laid over top of video footage. And that's kind of where it went. It never made it to YouTube. And then here we are today, and I'm recording solely a an audio version of the podcast, not dealing with the video for a couple of reasons. And the, the first of which is that it is so much easier to just deal with audio only and not have to worry about splicing again, splicing together video, trying to make it look halfway decent. And uh, yeah, so this week or this episode, we're going to do audio only and see just how it works. And oddly enough, I don't know how the whole YouTube algorithm system works, but I haven't published a video and my subscriber count is going up. So it seems as though if I don't publish videos, it actually has a benefit. So we're going to do audio only for episode 14. We'll reevaluate for episode 15 and we'll kind of play it by ear. So the next thing I want to talk about is an upcoming group ride that I've got going on in the Walt NPA Discord server. So if you're not familiar with it, I started a Discord server probably a year and a half ago maybe, and it was just a way for me to communicate with people that were active on the YouTube channel. It worked out really well. I've got a small group of guys that talk to me pretty regularly. We laugh, we joke, and we've had the pleasure of getting together on several occasions for local group rides. Now, the Discord server is open to anyone. doesn't much matter where you live, but if you're somewhat local... It also plays a benefit of serving as a a place to to meet and get together with riding buddies a couple of times a year. And I find that to be wonderful. I absolutely love getting together with the guys, putting some miles on the bike, and laughing over comms the entire ride. It's just uh, loads and loads of fun. I really enjoy it. So now that we're in the winter season, there isn't a whole lot of riding going on. I wanted to start planning group rides for the spring. Now, my original thought was we would go out and visit the Louis J. Mascaro Automotive Museum. It's uh, a new place in Birdsboro, Pennsylvania, that basically showcases Louis Mascaro's automotive collection. Uh, He's got a variety of supercars. He's got a variety of collector's items. And I believe the entry fee is like 15 bucks. So you go in there, you pay, you get to walk around, check out all the sites. And... A couple of the guys in Discord are car guys, so it seemed like a, a really fun little day trip that we could do. So the plan is to to meet up, ride over to the museum, look around, and then from there I want to go to probably the Morgantown area, Morgantown Coffee House, to have lunch. They're a little on the expensive side, but the food is fantastic. Um, you know, a $13 breakfast sandwich is is a bit steep, but it is a wonderful sandwich, and I, I just I can't get enough of this place. The coffee's great, the food's great. It's just an awesome place to uh, to go have breakfast or have lunch and I believe they're going to be serving dinner pretty soon. So in the spring I thought it would be just a good good couple of stops and then from there we can either break off and go home or maybe extend the ride a little bit longer. And the the plan is just to see the museum, enjoy some scenic Pennsylvania back roads and have lunch and have lots of laughs and good conversation along the way. 
Now, I'm hesitant to post the details on waltnpa.com or just to put it out there for YouTube, uh, mostly because I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that it, it might, by some freak chance, get larger than I can manage. So I've only led like two group rides. I've been a part of maybe half a dozen with less than 10 bikes. So it's it's always been kind of a community-driven thing. I rely on the people that are there to help arrange and lead and just keep everyone together and on the same page. And I'm afraid that if I do open it up to the public that, again, by some freak chance, maybe it gets much bigger than I can manage. And uh, that would kind of stress me out. And I don't want anyone to be in an unsafe position. So if you're interested in joining the group ride, I would suggest joining the Walt NPA Discord server, getting to know some of the guys that you would be riding with, and then that would help us help give us a more accurate headcount so that we could plan accordingly. So a couple of months ago, there was a company called HearProTech that reached out and asked me if I would be willing to review their motorcycle earplugs. And because this was the first co- company that had reached out to me with a product that I could actually use and 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 try out that wasn't non-motorcycle related. I mean, I've I've had offers to review like carbon fiber wallets and miscellaneous other things and I've always seen that as just free publicity and, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that from a company that's just trying to get out there, get their name out there, sell product. But for me, I was a little put off by the fact that some of these review requests were items that I couldn't use and I couldn't talk about to a, to a motorcycle-based audience because it may not really make sense. I mean, how many of you use carbon fiber wallets and money clips and, you know, just little odds and ends? So when a company approached me about a motorcycle-specific product, I was really excited and I jumped at the opportunity. So I reviewed the motorcycle earplugs from HearProTech on the Walt NPA blog was really happy with the outcome they were a good product inexpensive and i was happy to kind of spread the word about this product that i had been given the opportunity to test and review free of charge now when the arrangement went down and i explained to them that i wanted a second pair of earplugs for free i wanted to give those away as a contest on both waltnpa.com as well as the podcast and the youtube channel And they were happy to accommodate me. So if you're interested in winning a pair of HearProTech motorcycle earplugs, the deadline is really, really close. I'll be selecting a name at random on February 1st and announcing it to my email subscriber list. And in order to get into the contest drawing, all you need to do is head on over to waltnpa.com, plug your email address into the sign-up form, and you will be entered. Way back in episode 5 of the Motorcycle Adjacent Podcast, I talked about motorcycle education by way of books. I'm a, a big fan of reading audiobooks, uh, consuming content to kind of better myself. Uh, I, I'm kind of big on business books and self-help books. And when I started to get burned out on those sorts of books, I turned to motorcycle books as a way to kind of broaden my education. So I went through a very long list of books that I've either listened to on Audible or I've read as Kindle books or even paperback books. And shortly after that episode was published, I had someone reach out to me and tell me that there was a really good book called Sport Riding Techniques by Nick Lenasht, 
I believe it's pronounced. And that it was kind of the, the quintessential sport riding book for The Road. So I sought out a copy of the book. I think it is no longer in print. However, I was able to find it through Amazon as like a used book. I got it from a secondhand store for like a whopping $2.98 or something like this. It was just a ridiculously low price. They shipped it to me for about $3. So all in, you know, for about 6 to $7, I got this book that I'm really excited to read. It's in great shape. I'm looking forward to... Uh, to cracking it open and getting into the content inside. Now, one of the really nice things about this book is it's loaded with pictures and diagrams and just everything that I that is lacking when I buy a book through the Kindle store. You know, I have one of those old Kindle uh, paper whites. So when when it comes to photos and diagrams and illustrations, it's really really lacking. But having you know full-blown color pictures in a nice heavy book, I'm just really eager to get started on that. So in addition to that, it was also recommended I recommended that I pick up Proficient Motorcycle by David Hugh or David Ho. How? Not entirely sure how to pronounce that one either. I'm just butchering names left and right. This, much like sport sport writing techniques, is it's a I got it in paperback form. It's got lots of pictures, diagrams, illustrations. And a third book that I picked up was Total Control by Lee Parks. This is a book that I already own in the Kindle format. Uh, however, I started reading it way back when I was getting back into motorcycles again. And I kind of struggled following along with the book because I hadn't actually purchased a motorcycle yet. It was like during the COVID shutdown, um, I had made arrangements with a dealership to buy a bike, but there was a lull because the state had closed down non-essential businesses. And everything was kind of on hold while I just, you know, read various motorcycle books, consumed content online, trying to get back into the sport of riding without actually having a motorcycle to do it. So I really struggled with total control. I wound up not being able to finish it just because I struggled so much with it, not being able to re- to relate what was on the page to ex- like actual in-life experiences on the motorcycle. The cool thing about having total control as a paperback is that, again, it's got lots of pictures and diagrams, and it it just seems much more feature-rich than the Kindle version that I bought two years ago at this point. So three new books added to my motorcycle library, and I look forward to reading them and telling you what I thought of them. Staying along the vein of motorcycle education, in the last episode of the Motorcycle Adjacent podcast, I mentioned that I am trying to generate more motorcycle education content, both for YouTube and for the Walt NPA blog. So I I believe at that point, uh, I had published a couple of different articles. Uh, The first one was on riding buddies, you know, how you go about finding people to ride with in your area with a big emphasis on, on searching out local Facebook groups using websites like Meetup to to just find like-minded people to get out and ride with. I also offered some suggestions on what to do in the event that you're in an uncomfortable position and you really feel like you should peel off. Um, in addition to that article, I did one on lane splitting in Pennsylvania. Is it legal? Is it illegal? You know, what are the potential infractions you could face if you decide to go ahead and do it? And these educational style blog posts or, or videos have been kind of fun to do. And it, it, I feel like 
I feel like instead of producing content that is more entertainment-based, it's it's giving back to the community a bit. So it's been fun. It's been a nice little sidetrack that I've been going down. And most recently, I published another article on Pennsylvania's ride on red law, whether or not you can run a red light in Pennsylvania, some of the things that will help you trigger red lights, what to do if you face a red light that just won't trigger. And hopefully, people find it informative and useful. So the motorcycle education content is going to continue going forward. I could really use some suggestions on topics that you would like to see me cover. So if you have an idea, you can reach out to me on social media or you can hit me up at walt at waltnpa.com. I look forward to your email. In the last episode of the Motorcycle Adjacent Podcast, I talked about a ride that I went on with Untamed Ride, Steve and his wife. And the idea was to get together and just go for a ride out to the Lancaster area to visit a covered bridge. It was a a bridge that I hadn't been to before. turns out Steve and his wife both had been there before. Uh, However, they hadn't rode out there on motorcycles. And Lancaster is a beautiful place to ride. Nice wide open spaces. Backcountry roads are fantastic. And it's kind of cool going through there and seeing horse and buggies. And it's just, uh, just a fun, peaceful place to be. So we were going to visit Hunsecker's Covered Bridge. It crosses over uh, the Conestoga River, I believe. I don't, I, I'm, a, I'm a little confused. I'm not sure what differentiates uh, you know, a river from a creek, from a stream. So I don't know if it's the Conestoga River or the Conestoga Creek. Anyway, this bridge spans the Conestoga Waterway. And it's got a, a lot of history. So I wanted to get out there. I wanted to see it brought my cameras along. I wanted to record some footage through and around the bridge, just kind of make some some informational content out of it for anyone in the area looking for just something to go out and see. Unfortunately, while we were on our way out there, the sky opened up and it started raining and it was cold and we were getting wet and it just felt like it was going to be a miserable ride if we continued. So we wound up pulling off in this the supermarket parking lot to check the weather and they were calling for rain for the next several hours. So we turned around, went back home, wound up riding past home, visiting a couple other places. I believe we put on close to 90 miles that day despite the weather not being fantastic. And all in all, I I classified it as a good positive ride. So a couple weeks later, uh, we decided to try it again. So I met up with Steve, and we rode out to Lancaster again. This time it was way colder, but there was no chance of rain. We made it out to the covered bridge. It was really cool seeing it. Again, brought my video cameras along to get some footage. Took lots of pictures. Uh, One interesting thing about this bridge is that it is not a traditional Lancaster covered bridge in the sense that Typically, a Lancaster-covered bridge is painted red on the outside with the two faces being painted white. Uh, this bridge was looked like it was not painted at all. Some of the siding had seen better days, but it was still in pretty good shape. And the covered bridge is surrounded by private property, so think of it as there are four properties on the four corners of the bridge. And... Two are on one side of the creek or stream, and two are on the other side. And all four properties had like little seating areas set up near the bridge where you could just kind of sit down and relax and look at the creek and look at the bridge and just kind of take in the beauty of Lancaster County. Again, it was all private property. I couldn't go down there and and sit in one of their chairs, but 
it was really cool seeing that they had a little quiet seating place set up for such a beautiful area. So now that that trip has been successful, you can keep an eye out on WaltNPA.com or the WaltNPA YouTube channel because I'll be putting together that video footage relatively soon and sharing it. So after Steve and I were finished at Hunsecker's Mill Covered Bridge, we started heading home. And a couple of minutes into the ride back, Steve had mentioned that he wanted to make a pit stop at a gas station. So we find this little gas station off the beaten path. We pull in, pull off to the side of the building, and back our bikes in. Now, it's really cold. It was in the mid-30s, I suppose. I'm layered up just to try to stay warm. And as I'm dismounting, I take my right leg, I throw it over the back of the bike to, to get off like you normally would. And in the process, I guess because of all the layers and being cold, I didn't get my leg up high enough to clear the bike. And I managed to bump a piece of plastic with my knee um, on the left side of the bike, right behind the seat. There's this triangular shaped piece of plastic, this cowl that kind of wraps around the back. And when I bumped it with my knee, it snapped. It was, uh, I just dreaded it. I heard the piece of plastic bounce off the ground. I looked down. Steve and I are, are talking, and I just said, I just broke my bike. And he looked at me dumbfounded, like, what do you mean you just broke your bike? I bend down. I pick up this piece of green plastic, and I show it to him. And his face just kind of drops, like, I, I can't believe that just happened. Now, I don't know if it was just a weak piece of plastic to begin with or if it was brittle because of how cold it was or if I smacked it harder than I thought I did but the fact remains I broke a piece of plastic and I was really bummed out I just bought this bike back in October it's got at the time less than 700 miles on it I was pretty pretty upset and I, I really didn't know what I was going to do aside from ordering a piece of plastic that could cost several hundred dollars and take months to get. So after I got home, I decided to to go out on a limb and reach out to Kawasaki's customer care line and see if this is something that would be covered under a normal warranty. Now I didn't have I didn't get my hopes up. I really didn't expect them to replace a body panel, but um, I reached out anyway, figuring that worst case scenario they'll tell me sorry. I'm on my own and I'll just go from there. But the response was, you know, we're really sorry that this happened. We would suggest that you take it to your Kawasaki dealer and have the the problem evaluated by, you know, service staff. So part of me felt like they were maybe passing the buck, having the dealer tell me no. But part of me was slightly hopeful that maybe it would go my way. Now, as it turned out, the Ninja 400 needed its first service. I believe it was a 600 mile service it was an oil change and some other technical stuff technical checks and i needed to take it over to the dealership anyway so i went over there i dropped the bike off for that first service and i grabbed the service guy service manager jose over at martin moto and i explained the situation and i really wasn't expecting it to go my way but to my amazement he said that uh, there was a really good chance that they would take care of it. Now, under normal circumstances, they don't repair body damage under the warranty. He said, however, Kawasaki has this great program where they, they try to appeal to customers and keep them coming back and keep them happy, you know, so that they're repeat customers of the brand going forward. He said that they'll do these repairs sort of as a, an act of good faith 
if they're if they're under a certain dollar value. So he goes back to his computer. He looks up the the value of the part, the labor to put it on, and he says, "Oh yeah, I, I'm really confident that we can get this covered under a warranty." Uh, he said, "I will get all everything together. I'll submit it to Kawasaki. They'll make the final determination. But in the event that they decide not to repair it, he said, "You've been a good customer. You know, we'll take care of it for you." And I was just blown away by not only Kawasaki offer you know having this program where they kind of keep their customers happy, but that the dealership was looking out for me. I mean, I I don't want to say like, hey, you know, I spend a lot of money here and you should take care of me, but I spent a lot of money over there over the past two years, and it was just really nice feeling like they were looking out for me and they appreciated my business. So I left there really happy. Um, they took care of my my service and then they had to order the part they told me that they weren't entirely sure when the part would come in there's lots of back order issues going on still with all of the motorcycle brands and they would give me a call and let me know when the part came in so it must have been not even two weeks later i got a phone call that my part was in and that i could come over and have it installed at my leisure so i ran over the dealership i got the part taken care of they put it on they put a new decal on for me and uh, the bike looks great. Looks like it was never damaged, and I am thrilled. Thank you very much, Kawasaki. Thank you very much, Martin Moto. I just could not be more pleased with the way this whole situation turned out. It was an accidental damage on my part, completely my fault, and uh, the dealership and Kawasaki stepped up and took care of me. I, I can't say enough for the brand at this point. I feel like I should expand on this broken body panel situation a little bit more and kind of just go down a different path. So as you're probably familiar with, I own a 2022 Yamaha MT-09 SP that I am completely thrilled with. It is a motorcycle that does everything that I could ask it to do and more. It, it It's just... It's got everything that I could need in a motorcycle to do the type of riding that I do, and I'm I'm absolutely thrilled to have this bike. When I damaged my rear brake caliper, trying to replace my own or re- change my own tire, um, I got put in an awkward position where I needed a new brake caliper, but none could be found. Uh, Partzilla didn't have one. The dealership couldn't get one direct from Yamaha. It wound up being a really big headache and as a result I, I wound up buying this Ninja 400 as a backup bike as a as a secondary motorcycle that I could ride if something like this ever happens again now I've been having loads of fun on this Ninja 400 and I'm kind of bouncing back and forth between the Ninja 400 and the MT-09 now in order to get the MT-09 back on the road again I had to order a rear brake caliper from England it was the only used brake caliper that I could find uh, I ordered it based on pictures on eBay. Uh, the dealership was was happy to put on a part that they didn't supply. They got me back on the road again. And during this whole thing, I had them order me a, a new rear brake caliper. Um, I never canceled the original order because I didn't know what kind of shape the used part was going to be in. So when they asked me, you know, do you want to keep the order open for the brake caliper, I said, well, sure, because I don't know, I I just don't know how this used caliper is going to turn out. I don't know what kind of shape it's in. 
I'm just kind of going on blind faith right now. So yes, keep the order open. Well, they put the new the used brake caliper on. I kind of forgot about the the new brake caliper that I ordered through Yamaha. So while I was over there getting the the 400 serviced, the service manager told me like, oh, you know, I'm just to give you an update on the new rear brake caliper for your MT09. He said that Yamaha, I guess it was supposed to be delivered in February, um, but Yamaha pushed it back again. Now, the bike itself took five months to get, and they changed the delivery date on that numerous times. The rear brake caliper has been pushed back numerous times, and now there is an undetermined date on when it will even come in. Now, fortunately, I don't need it. I really should cancel the order, uh, but it's already paid for, and in the back of my mind, I kind of want to have a new part on the bike just for warranty's sake. Um, if anything goes wrong, I'd hate for it to come up that, you know, I'm, I'm using a, a a used caliper off a salvaged bike. So I, I'm keeping the, the order open, uh, mostly because it's already paid for. And again, I, I just want to cover my ass in the event that something goes wrong. So I keep seeing issues with Yamaha parts being pushed out, not just parts, but, but, but entire bikes being pushed out further and further and further. Now, as much as I love Yamaha and as much as I love my MT-09, the level of service that I got from Kawasaki during this whole situation has left me second guessing. Like, you know, I was looking at buying uh, a Z900RS and the one thing that drove me away from it was, you know, the price for buying a retro bike and some of the features that it seemed to be lacking compared to the, the standard Z900, the non-retro model. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if, like, maybe I would have been better off with a Kawasaki product given that they're still shipping parts, they're still producing motorcycles, they're on top of customer service, and... Yamaha seems to be completely falling behind on every aspect of, of, of the whole manufacturing process. So I, I'm not saying that I'm not happy with my MT-09 because trust me, I, I love the motorcycle and I'll own it for a long time. But I'm wondering if I might have been better served going down the route of Kawasaki over Yamaha. Just a little, I don't know, it's that little nugget that's just weighing on the back of my mind. It makes me wonder, if something ever happens to the M209, how much can I rely on Yamaha to make it right or, or to help me get it back on the road? Because right now, things aren't going well. Fortunately, the bike is running and I don't have any issues with it. But what happens if something goes wrong, something breaks, and I wind up waiting months for Yamaha to fulfill a parts order? Again, just food for thought. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to do it for this episode of the Motorcycle Adjacent Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, do me a favor and uh, drop me a review on the Google Play Store, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, anywhere you're consuming the content that I'm producing. I would, uh, I'd love to see it. And if for some reason this thing makes it to YouTube with some random footage over top of it uh don't forget to like comment and subscribe as always thank you very much for joining me ride safe and i will catch you in the next one